great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judah and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practised sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord, in hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captivity to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many Samaritan villages. Wow, I, what a service, I sort of think to myself, just in terms of the stuff we get to do this morning, get to hear about, get to encounter, get to experience. Um, if you're here this morning, uh, you're, you're in a special place, you're in a special time, and you're here because God wants you here. 
Ryan said it, I want to say it again, the message that we're on about as a church, the message that the entire book of Acts, this is one book in the Bible that we're slowly talking through is this, and please listen to me carefully, especially if you're new to church. God loves you. In this man Jesus, God has done everything necessary that you may know Him. You may know Him personally. You may know Him intimately. Your life will never be the same. Changed, transformed, improved. Last week we spoke about stuff like confidence, security, freedom from guilt and fear. It's yours, right? This is what God has done in Jesus. That's the message. It's the awesome message that we get to proclaim, that the church has, that the church owns. And that's what Acts is all about. My question for you this morning, out of what Zaria just read to us, is, is there's two things. Who is this message for? And how does this message get to them? Okay, that's, that's sort of the two. There's a lot in today's reading, and I'm sorry, you, you're going to wonder about some stuff that you're going to still wonder about afterwards. It's going to have to be selective, what we focus on. But, but here's, here's what I want us to see. Who is this message for that God loves you and that you ought to know him deeply, intimately? And he's done everything for that in his son, Jesus. Who's it for? How? How will they get to know it? How will you get to know it, right? They're, they're two sort of questions that we will shed light on. Here's, here's how our, our passage starts. Philip, and Philip, if you remember, he's a guy, he's not one of the main leaders, he's one of the people who was supposed to deal with the bread issue, right? Just, just if you here a few weeks ago, that should ring a bell. This is who he is. He's one of those seven guys, right? There's nuance in that top line. Let me dramatize the nuance for you. This is how we should read that. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the gospel there. <laughs> there. You and I won't get it. <laughs> but the first century Jew, <laughs> you've no idea. You've no idea how outlandish that is. It's hard for us to conceive the, the boldness of the step that Philip took in preaching the gospel to Samarians. Just by the way, Philip is from a place called Jerusalem. It's sort of there. Samaria is this region here. These guys, they, they didn't do those guys. <laughs> they didn't do them at all. Samarians were historically, and I, I don't want to go too long about this, but they deep in their history, decided to break away from the Jewish nation of Israel, form their own thing. Eventually, they partner up with another mob called the Assyrians, and they sort of interbreed and intermix. Eventually, they set up their own temple. They say, no, if you want to know God, that God loves you, you don't need to go to the, the place where God said this is where he is to be known in those days. You come to this one. They set up this rival temple. <laughs> and, there's no love between these two people groups. 
In fact, it's worse than just being enemies. It's, it's the sense of betrayal. It's the sense of selling out. It's the sense of half-breeds, to put it more crassly, as many Jewish people of the day would have put it. <laughs> he goes there, <laughs> and he proclaims the gospel there to those people, right? <laughs> and then he goes further into this text, and I'm going to skip down the passage now a bit because I've got to do some theology with you this morning, and please bear with me, particularly if you're tired from a camp or if you're, if you're new to church. But, but here's what happens there in Samaria. Down the passage, uh, sorry, no, I skipped over. Sorry, this is an idea for you of how much Jerusalem Jewish people hated Samarians. You know, Jesus, earlier in his life, some of his disciples follow him. They go through a place called Samaria, through a Samaritan village, and then when the disciples, James and John, these are the apostles now, saw this, what goes on in the Samarian town. They said, Lord, you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <laughs> this is how much they hated them. With an incalculable passion. Okay? Now that's where Philip is preaching the gospel, right? Um, down the passage, Philip goes. He's in Samaria over here. He preaches the gospel. People heard the gospel. They believed it, that God loves them, and this man Jesus. But, for some reason, there's a unique thing going on here, a very unique thing. It is not until some days, possibly weeks later, where from Jerusalem comes some apostles... These are the head leaders of the church of the time. And they pray for these Sumerians who believe the message of Jesus, that God loves them and wants to have a relationship with them. And then they're filled with God's Holy Spirit. When a person comes into a relationship with God, there are usually sort of four things involved. They're not steps, but there's four things. Somehow, in a mystery, we believe the message. Somehow, in a very mysterious sense, we are filled with God's Spirit. That is, God comes to live in you. You are baptized, either you were as a baby or you are as an adult. And then you live a life that becomes more and more like the person who God wants you to be. These are the four things. Believe it, filled with the Spirit, baptized, Repent. Live a life of repentance. Be changed by the power of God. That's what it means. Okay, these are the four things. Now, normally, it kind of happens simultaneously. We believe, we're filled with the Spirit, we get baptized, we live a life of repentance. That's probably the standard way in which it happens. Not prescribed that it's a step one, step two, step three, step four. But what's very unique in this case of these Sumerians is that there is this distinct delay between when they believe, when they're baptized, and when they are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's very distinct. In fact, there's a scholar who writes, I'm paraphrasing him, he says, this statement that I bolded there is the most remarkable phrase in the entire book of Acts. 
the most remarkable phrase in the entire book of Acts. The Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> what do you do with that? What does it mean? And, and what does it mean for us, right? I mean, this is, uh, it, it's huge. So I'm going to illustrate it to you and spend time on it. I don't think we'll make our way through today's whole sermon. We'll just do point one and two. I need two volunteers. And so can I ask Mike and Ben? Ben, ben and Mike are going to help me here to sort of illustrate. Can you come and join me, please, Ben and Mike? Uh, I didn't tell them what they're going to do. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't say yes. <laughs> uh, Mike is an apostle. I know I look more like one. <laughs> but he's the apostle in the illustration. Um, you're still wet. Yes, I know. You rode your bike here, didn't you? <laughs> ben is a Samaritan. Yes, Ben is there. Let's welcome the one who's bold. Okay, Samaritan, can you go to Samaria for me over here? And that's all right. And, and, and Apostle, can you go over there for me? So, so, so okay, here's, you know, He's the guy who said, can we call down fire on him? Destroy him. So he needs to be wiped off the earth. Right? Ethnic cleansing style. This is the hatred. Now we've got this line that's the most significant thing in Acts. How do you explain this? How are you going to explain it? There's, okay, there's four ways. I'll give you the four ways. And it's worth taking the time because it is a bearing on what it is. People explain this in four ways over the centuries. Here's number one. What happened to... Ben, in being baptized and believing, wasn't really real. It was kind of just a, a, a going through the motions thing. It was a bit of, you know, he, it was just in the flesh, really. There was no real spiritual encounter with the living God when he believed Philip's preaching. It wasn't until the authorities come down, <laughs> the real church placed their hands on him, then it became real. And so, for a lot of the church's history, this idea is tied for your experience and encounter of God won't be real unless it's by an authorized dealer, so to speak. You know, uh, the pastor or the elder or the bishop or the whatever it is, that's what makes it real. Christians over centuries have held this position for a very long time. I don't think it's quite right. Uh, I think God's certainly dealing with us and we've seen that not being the case too often in too many times. Not what we should get out of this. Option two, others have said, okay, well, it's clear that coming to God and experiencing God is, is, is there's this two stages almost. Yes, you have to believe that Jesus died, was raised for the forgiveness of your sins. Yes, you need to get baptized. Then there's this sort of second experience that is called either a second blessing or a baptism of the Holy Spirit or something to that effect where you're kind of in, but you're not quite in until this has happened, right? Uh, there is this certain sense in which this has to happen for the full Christian experience. And, and, and the full experience will be shown by some visible sign or a manifestation, if you would, that, hey, clearly Ben now has God living in him because he can do some things uh, like speaking in tongues or other things. So this is another approach. And it's saying, there it is. This is what happened there. This is what should happen when 
new people come to faith, right? Probably also unlikely that this is the case. Because there's so many other instances where this does not happen. In fact, this delay only happens twice in Acts. Which gives us the third reason of why. I think there's something unique going on here that God wants us to get. And I'm putting to you reason three or four is the one we need to settle for. Here's what's going on. Some people say there's a delay. There is a delay. This is unusual. Ben's coming to experience the fullness of God is different from most people. And the reason is because Ben is a Sumerian. This is the first time that the message of God's love for all people is leaving the ethnically pure center of Jerusalem. And what God wants to show Mike and all the other leaders and the whole world, including you and me today, is that this spirit (laughs) that has been poured out on him and all the other people in Jerusalem at Pentecost is the same spirit that is going to be poured out in the same way on Ben. (laughs) And he says, I'm going to let it roll differently this time because I want everyone to know that I am for the Samaritan as much as I am for anyone else. Absolutely. All of Jesus is for absolutely all people. And so, yes, <laughs> this is different. The Spirit did not come until some time after, until Peter and John came. I think that's probably more reasonable, to be honest. Although I think there's a better explanation, and this is the fourth one, maybe getting a bit technical. There's a verb in this, uh, in this verse. Uh, the verb, the Spirit had not yet come on any of them. It's a bit Greeky and stuff and geeky. The verb, normally you'd say uh, pepto, I believe, which is something came. It's an intensified form here. It says epipepto. In other words, the Spirit not only just came here on Ben, he came. (laughs) There was a certain experience of, of God that this Samaritan had that was way beyond the average or the normal experience. There was something that was so uh, visible and manifest about it. And so people are saying, they always had the Spirit right from when they believed Philip. They baptized, they repented, they had the Spirit. It was all good. But then it wasn't until the apostles came that there was a strength, a certain intensity in their experience of God that matched that of Pentecost. In fact, some people say that there's three Pentecost experiences in Acts. Jerusalem, Samaria, and then the third one to come. And the point in number three and number four is all the same. You get it. God's gathering one church in which absolutely everybody can have absolutely all of Jesus. Right? Thank you. It was an easy gig. You did well. <laughs> you guys can grab the seat. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Mike. Uh, can I talk to you this morning if you're, if you're new to church? I want to talk to you if you're a Samaritan here. Maybe you feel like a Samaritan. Maybe you feel like this is always more for someone else than me. This is more for the real leadership in the 
super elite spiritual ones than it is for me. I'm always going to be somewhat second in, in, in how full and how deep and how manifest I'm going to encounter God in my life. His he's power to change me, to transform me, to break me free from guilt, to give me confidence, to make me know that He loves me. It's always going to be less for me in my experience than it is going to be for them. It is not. It's not the heart of God. It's not the desire of God. And yes, for the religiously conservative, I think there's something in this for us about the whole how you experience the power of God in your life. It should be ever increasing, ever stronger, ever more undeniable, and the Spirit should be ever more evident and present and manifest in our lives. I think this is what God wants. I think this is what He shows us in this whole Sumerian experience. It's strange. It's different. It's not there on the surface, but I I hope, I think, it was worth just saying this is unique because what God is doing here is unique. He brings you in. He says, this is for you, no matter who you are. Half-breed, cast away, whatever it is, whatever the purists have to say about you, I am for you. Right? It's a powerful message and a stunning one at that. That's the first point. I'll do one more. I brought a rose. I was going to give this rose to my wife, but then I thought, no, I'll have another use for it this morning. <laughs> In fact, I felt very guilty. I felt very, I felt very Dutch yesterday because I drove around all the gardens to find a free one. I couldn't find one, and then I went to the shop to buy one, and then I bought one, and I thought, oh, I should really buy my wife flowers, and I got home with the flower, and the face lit up, and I said, you can have it to the morning, <laughs> but I'm going to use it for something else, sorry. And I was too stingy to buy her a bunch of flowers, so uh, she's at home looking after sick kids. I should buy her a bunch of flowers afterwards. Anyway, here is a rose. It's a stunning rose. Um, this is the Jerusalem church up to this point. Can I put it to you? Can you just let your imagination run for me a bit with what we heard in Acts about the church in Jerusalem? It's incredible. This is by now a church, one church, that would be probably the best mega church that ever existed, right? If you want to think about it that way. Apostles as leaders. You read about the signs and the wonders that Philip even uh, performed. You think about the rest of the apostles in Jerusalem. The preaching, the teaching, the healings, the miracles, the conversions. You've had thousands of people who come to Jesus and it's this incredible thing that is happening. Uh, Even the widows, how they looked after those who are down and out, how they deal with their problems, word, deed, all that sort of stuff. You've got to go. As far as churches go, this thing in Jerusalem was incredible. It was beautiful. It was phenomenal. Here it is. And... (laughs) What does God do with it? What does God do with it? (laughs) 
I don't think he quite destroyed it. But take that in, right? <laughs> How did Philip get here? On that day, great. I'll cry about it. Because this rose is beautiful. That one was too. Great. Persecution broke out. And everyone, except the the apostles, scattered all throughout Samaria. And out they go. (laughs) Can you imagine that? What a, what a way to reach people. Huh? I mean, I know there's mystery here about, some people would say, how can a loving and a good God do that? I know this mystery and I'm not going to deny it. But isn't it remarkable that this man, Philip, out of all that he suffered after Stephen, after all that went wrong in that place, goes into Samaria and he tells them, that God loves them. <laughs> God is good. Do you know the only way to extract the fragrance of this rose? To crush it. <laughs> Essential oils, sandalwood, all those sorts of stuff. You, if, if the best perfume comes from the best things being crushed. Stephen smelled it. Philip smelled it. You will smell the roses of mission, of evangelism, only when you're crushed. We've got to think about our church. We're a rose. Little one, but a stunning one, nonetheless. <laughs> How will God reach? How will God reach those who he wants us to reach. I'm not saying I'm hoping that God does this to us. I'm not. I'm not saying that I hope that God does this to you in your life as an individual. I do not. But I am saying we see here something about the ways of God that we need to be aware of, that we need to be open to. We need to say that it might be that the way that God is going to release the fragrance of what we have here may not be always because of how we thought in our strategy meetings necessarily, things are going to happen. The truth is the Jerusalem church did not sit down around an open table with a mission committee and said, what is a good way for us to reach Samaria? They didn't. They didn't. As good as they were. <laughs> this is how God reached them. I think it'll do the same for us. There's some quotes. Uh, I'll read them. First of all, for you personally, God is perfectly prepared to treat Our personal schemes of domestic security, self-fulfillment, financial aggrandizement, and career interest with a cavalier disinterest if they stand in the way of realizing his heart concern, the spread of the gospel throughout the world. That is what God wants, more than he wants your comfort. You can expect nothing less from him. For the church, listen to this quote by this guy called David Fipers. Every movement of spiritual renewal in Christian history has issued in evangelism, 
or has withered on the branch. I'll read that again. Every movement of spiritual renewal, think of pathway. Last five to seven years for us have been years of spiritual renewal, of revival, of bouncing back, getting into the depth of the goodness and the greatness of God. We've had one. Every single one of them, including our little mini one here, has resulted in either two things, either evangelism, out, or it died on the branch. (laughs) There's no sitting. There's no staying. There's never a point of just being a rose for where you are, and that is it forever. God has cut his church, and the smell of the roses, just in case you wonder, will be worth it always. I doubt Philip regretted what happened to him in Samaria. Next week we'll see something else that he's done. I doubt he's regretted it. I doubt he's regretted any of the hardships that happened to him. You won't either. We won't either. This is a good thing that our good God gives us. There are two points. I'm going to use them to prepare for the Lord's Supper. We're going to eat a symbolic meal now with a piece of bread and a cup of wine. I would like you to think for me this morning, if you doubt that God loves you and that Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sin, that you may know him or at least begin to know him. And and you want to talk about getting baptised. And even today you feel that God may be actually filling you with his Holy Spirit into a new life, into a new place. If, If you believe that, if that is true for you, maybe today for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, come to this table, grab this piece of bread, grab this piece of wine. You are saying by grabbing it and eating it that I believe it. That's what you're saying, right? If you're here today and you say, well, I I do believe it, but I, I still feel second rate. You feel like this is kind of me. I feel that there's always just, I don't get the full piece, I just get the half piece. Eat the full piece. And ask God to fill you fully because he wants to do so fully. There's no classes in his church. No matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter how broken you are, (laughs) it's for you. Come, right? As we eat it and drink it as a church and as individuals, remember that the very signs that we are celebrating are items of brokenness. It's a body shattered and broken. So will you be, so will our church be, for the sake of the Samaritan. And it will be good. Let me pray and we hand this out. God, as we prepare ourselves now, um, would you draw to this table who you want this morning to be here? Maybe the first time. Maybe again. Maybe a renewed understanding of your grace and fullness and what you have in store for us. Thank you that you call 
everybody who have all of Jesus who will believe it. For those who are prepared to do so today, may this be the best meal that they have ever had. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we can hand out bread and wine. Just hold on to your piece of bread and your cup of wine. Thank you.